Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. So great to be with you again today. As we finish up our series that we have been calling Tightrope, today with the subject of the rope that is strung between rest and work, that tightrope that all of us are called to walk. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned often that my family, uh, especially raising our two boys, we, we had a love for Disneyland. Uh, basically because all of our pastor's conferences often were in Anaheim, and so when they associated that and vacation, it was always we get to go to Disneyland. So, so much of our lives as we were raising the boys was either spent trying to go to Disneyland or saving for the next trip and planning for the next trip. And they always had a similar structure. It would begin with the dream. Oh, Disneyland is coming. And so you're at, at home and you're working on the internet and there's time frames and there's hotel deals to get and crowd indexes to look at and financial planning and weather reports and school calendars. You navigate all of those details, all the interactions, all the intricacies, like a dancer you move across the floor, graceful, purposeful, figuring it all out. Because this is vacation, and it will be the best vacation ever. Now, once you establish that, we make the proclamation to the family. Behold, unto you, family, a gift is given. Vacation is upon us, so do your best, lads, get good grades, because great will be your reward at the end of this. The future is bright for the best vacation ever. The days roll by. Normal challenges of life, events, the gatherings, victories, defeats. But beneath it all, like the haunting call of a distant train, you hear it. Vacation is coming and it will be the best vacation ever. Finally, that blessed day arrives. We wake up at three in the morning and through bleary eyes, we board our heavenly chariot, make the stop in Portland, finally arrived at, at the sun-bathed tarmac of the John Wayne International Airport that morning. From there, it's first to the bathroom and then to the hotel shuttle. Away our vehicle roars, the captain, I believe to be a nice man, although he doesn't really speak enough English to prove that, but I'm assuming that he is. One or two near-death experiences in traffic later, and we arrive, we check our bags in at the hotel, and finally that moment is here. And we walk through those magical gates of Disneyland, through the security checks and the bag checks, but now we are officially on vacation the best vacation ever, and the clock starts. Tick, 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 tick. Now you've got strategy, this ride, that line. What about lunch? We, we walk, we wait, we ride, we eat. Don't miss out, don't waste a moment because this has to be the best vacation ever. We return to the hotel from, from all of those escapades at the end of that immensely long day with tired feet, and abused digestive tracts, overstimulated psyches. But it's worth it, right? Because this is the best vacation ever. The next day starts again. 
More rides, more lines, more shows, more shopping. We walk, we wait, we ride. It's glorious. And once again, we return to our room, wrung out (laughs) with a half-hearted smile, saying, yep, this is the best vacation ever. The days were on much the same. The food changes from Matterhorn macaroons to Tigger tails. We live in a sugar-fueled dream. We can do it all because this is the best vacation ever. Our final day arrives. We have but a few hours left in that magic kingdom. And then it's to, to race back to the room, gather our belongings and souvenirs, ascend to the airport shuttle with yet another driver with slightly suspect driving abilities. But again, this is to be among the last memories of the best vacation ever. We braved the scrutiny of airport security, wondering if this time they'll actually ask me to just completely disrobe. That's, you know, it's gonna get there at some point. We make it to our first leg of the flight, San Francisco, late in the evening. Often to be told, well, Eugene is fogged in. We're not sure if we're gonna go or not. You may end up sleeping here tonight. Prayers then begin in earnest. We want to go home. Home sounds so good. And finally, they come over the loudspeakers and say, hey, we've got good pilots. Our insurance is paid. We're going to go for it. Get on the plane, everybody. And by that time for me, the thought of death in a fiery crash is far better than the idea of sleeping in an airport. Through the fog, we touch down. A friend picks us up, and of course, they ask, how was the best vacation ever? And as I ponder that, I can only say, well, you know, it was great. But right now, I actually think I need another vacation to recover from the best vacation ever. I have a premise for you. For all of you hardworking, people-loving American residents in the year 2022, we don't know how to rest. Maybe some of us do. Maybe some of us are very gifted at refueling and re-envisioning and restoring our lives. Yet as a whole, whether we're Christ followers or not, whether a man or a woman, a parent, a grandparent, a single, I think we struggle with rest. There's a tension in it for us. We know that there's just an endless amount of things to be done. So whether it's working hard or playing hard, that means it's just always hard. We don't stop. Rest to us, it just feels counterintuitive. The problem with that is that rest is actually built in to the very design of creation to the very blueprints of our humanity. And knowing that optimal function is then only achieved when we have optimal adherence to our design. We were made for this, and often we're missing it. It's like I can remember uh, being in industrial arts in school, that's what they call it, and we would have to work on lawnmower engines. And and they would tell us, the, the person in charge would say a lot of times, When folks want to do this, they want to make go-karts out of them. There's a thing called a governor 
on an engine that allows it not to rev past a certain uh, speed. And he would say, guys always say, well, I want my go-kart to go super fast, so I'm going to remove that governor. But what would eventually happen is the engine would blow up because there was nothing to stop it. I think as a culture, we've removed the governors and we see the blow-ups all around us. We, we see the model in Jesus for something different, the, the model for rest, and, and the model for rest is seen even in creation. See, <clears throat> you think about it, God could have made it so the sun just comes up and it just stays. <laughs> the earth doesn't rotate, it's just a constant daytime, right? Just always working. But no, what does God do? On the first day, not only does God separate light from darkness, but day from night, there's a rhythm. Day, night, day, night, work, rest, work, rest, like an engine, back and forth, a rhythm to it. And that our life is supposed to be lived out in that balance, in that tension. Think of it like this, there's forests that need rest, don't they? You think of the activity of a forest. In, in spring and summer, they're growing, but in fall, there's dormancy. In winter, they're completely shut down. But then they prepare for new growth again in that time. Animals rest, don't they? Bears hibernate, fish go inactive. We see the idea of rest everywhere. We're, we're told that shoes actually need rest. If, if you can rotate between two pairs of shoes, both of their lives will actually be prolonged. Even bowling pins need rest. They rotate them out and give them a rest so that when they come back, they're actually a lot more bouncy. It extends their life. Muscles need rest. After you do that bench press, you have to go through what's called recovery, and then you can bench again. There's this rhythm. We see it everywhere. Work, rest, work, rest, work, rest. Rest is all around us. Not to mention it's, it's in the very foundations of creation. We're told in Genesis, God, God makes everything there is in six days, but on the seventh day, God rested. Was God tired? No but he builds a framework for us, a governor, a model for optimum effectiveness, an effectiveness that includes rest. But here's our problem. The farther we go into the future, the faster we go. It used to be, if I wrote you a letter, that letter would then travel on horseback to wherever you were, and I might get your reply from that letter maybe in a year, by the time I got that reply back, my whole circumstances changed. Whatever problem I was talking about, it is long gone. But now, I can send you an email and that reply is instant. It used to be, if I wanted to go to work, I had to go to work. I went to an office. But now, the office is wherever I am the phone in the palm of my hand. Convenient, yes, efficient, sure, but now I can always be at work and never rest. 
What does that mean regarding this need that is built into us? Do, do you see the tension? Maybe this is creating a problem. What was promoted as these great benefits to life and happiness and fun and convenience, at times, they're taking more than they're giving. We don't know how to rest. But Jesus did. Jesus did not live in a vacuum that was just void of pressure. He wasn't in this world and nobody was ever asking anything of him. No, we see it all the time. The pressures around him, the crowds would go looking for Jesus. They're like, he's not here. He's gone away to a lonely place. He's not where the crowds are. They, they saw Jesus amidst stormy seas and the, the boat, and maybe it's, we're going to get washed away by this storm. Where's Jesus? He's asleep in the front of the boat. They tell Jesus, you know, Jesus, you should really go to this town if you want to be famous. If you really want to get well-known, you should go there. And Jesus would go the other way. People made demands on Jesus all the time, but he was never shackled by their demands. And he comes to us in the midst of the demands placed on all of our lives, the demands to, to do more and, and to sell more and to expand and to build and to fix and to save and to play and to make and to serve more, more, more. And Jesus reminds us that none of that work can accomplish what rest in him can. None of that improves on God's design for us. It's expressed so beautifully in Matthew 11, verse 28. In fact, right where you are, I encourage you to read this along with me. Big voices, go, Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound like cold water to a parched land? Doesn't that sound almost too good to be true? Yet it's not. Jesus comes to unravel for us this riddle of rest. To help us walk this tightrope. So let's look a bit closer at that passage, shall we? The first thing I would point out is this. True rest requires action, not inaction. True rest requires action, not inaction. There's four important words I want you to see in this passage. Come, take, learn, find. They're verbs. They're action words. But we want to think as rest as passive. We want to think of rest as this passive thing. But no, this is talking about action. You ever ask somebody, hey, hey what'd you do last Saturday? And they'll say, oh, Saturday was great. I didn't do nothing. I didn't do anything. And you're like, really? You did absolutely nothing. Yeah, I didn't do anything all day. You mean you just sat there and just stared at a wall? all day long on Saturday. Well, no, no, no. I, I watched some TV, I, I mowed the yard, I barbecued, I sculpted, you know, something. Uh, but it does, you say, well, that doesn't sound like nothing. <laughs> it sounds like something. But what made the something great was that Saturday's something was different than the somethings of Monday through Friday. 
It wasn't nothing. It was a different something. But that different something made Saturday something, something great. Jesus tried to get the Pharisees, the religious folks, to understand this. In the Old Testament, God had introduced this idea of Sabbath to the people. And it's really a cessation of the routine of work in order to return to what was most important, to, to God, to, to the source of life, to the life giver. So the work stops so that life can increase. It's not a taking away, it is a giving. Yet religious folks, they turned it into this law. They made it a rule to restrict instead of a principle to liberate. The original intention was that Sabbath or, or Sabbat would, would not be a day of nothings. It was that it would be a day of different somethings. The Pharisees tried to make it a day of nothing. So much so that there was this man that came on the Sabbath and he had a, a withered hand. And all the religious folks were like, well, you can't heal this guy because that would be work on the Sabbath. That would violate the principle. But what does Jesus do? Jesus heals him and then turns to the religious folks and says, man, if you had a sheep that fell into a hole on the Sabbath, wouldn't you help your sheep get out of there? And isn't this man so much more valuable than your sheep? He's saying Sabbath is for your good. It's to love you. It's a benefit to you. They're saying you want to make it a day of nothing, but God wants to make it a day of different and better somethings. So Sabbath really means that our weekly routine gets to change. Not to stop doing good, but to focus on a greater good. What Sabbath allows us to do is it allows us to evaluate what we did all week and ask the question, why? Why did I do it? Where was the eternal meaning in my week? The difference is not in the ceasing to do, but in the doing what is different, in stepping back. Imagine the art that would be produced if the painter never put the paintbrush down. They just kept painting, ongoing, never stopping. Imagine the music that would be produced if the composer never put a space between the notes. Imagine the mechanic who would just work on a carburetor over and over and over, but never stop and turn the key. Sabbath is this opportunity to stop just simply doing and ask, why am I doing that? True rest, then, is active, but it is a, a different active. We put down the paintbrush. We put down the pencil, we put down the wrench, and we step back. And we ask God, what's the meaning? We return to God. We recalibrate our lives back to God, saying, this is what I've done, but I need you to help me answer the question of why. And that answer can only be found in one place comes from God, the pursuit of God. 
Where I say, come and, and, and take and learn and find. That's what God is inviting us to. Sabbath is our chance to step back from the painting of our lives and start to see it as a whole. What does it need? Where does it need to stop? And it helps us walk this tightrope between work and rest. Because true rest requires action, not inaction. First thing, here's the second. True rest is found in a person, not a place. Matthew eleven twenty eight. in this passage, let's read that part together. Big voices go, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I get home and I, I pull into the garage and, and I close the garage door behind me, at that moment, I am all about efficiency, okay? It doesn't matter how much stuff I have in my vehicle that I need to, to, to carry inside, I'm going to get it all in one trip, okay? I'm not going to do two trips. I'm going to get it all in one trip. So I will, I will sling on my briefcase, and I will, I will get the water bottle and the coat, and I'll get the leftover lunch container, and I'll get my gym clothes, and I'll get the, the mail, all of it. I'll just have my hands filled, and I'll get it all because I'm going to get it in one trip. I'm about efficiency. And then I'll get to the door, and I realize... I can't open it. So then I have to do the really embarrassing, like, head knock on the door. Dunk, dunk, dunk. Can someone open the door? In my quest for kind of the, the perfect end to the day, the perfect dismount, to get it all done by some invisible timeline in my head, uh, I, I end up missing the most important thing. We, we make that mistake often regarding the tightrope of work and rest. We start to tell ourselves, if I can just work hard enough now so that one day in my life I'll be able to get to that place of rest. If I, I just work really hard now and one day I'll get to that island paradise or that magic kingdom or that floating buffet, then rest will be automatic. If I can just get that promotion or just get that better job so I can then get to my retirement, then on that day I will slow down. On that day I will rest. But does it really work like that? Or is there something greater still? A truth that we need to cling to. And it's this, that rest doesn't come from a place. Rest comes from a person, and his name is Jesus. So certainly I, I could get to retirement or whatever that goal is in my mind, but if in my pursuit of retirement I leave Jesus behind, I'm still in need of rest, because rest is found in a person. The person, self-described as gentle and lowly in heart, whose yoke is easy, whose burden is light. Right where you are, how many of you would say you wrestle with trying to carry a difficult yoke, a heavy burden? And Jesus says, come to me. 
True rest isn't ultimately found in a place. I mean, sure, we get glimpses, I guess. You know, for some, the glimpse is that warm beach or that cozy fireplace. For, for others, it's, it's sparkling rivers filled with hungry trout. Still others, it's the smell of airplane fuel and the unmuffled roar of a monster truck rally. Great places. But even if we find that perfect paradise, we still have to live with ourselves inside of it. But Ephesians 2.14 tells us this, speaking of Jesus, he himself is our peace. We are not called to a place of rest. We are called to the person of rest. And that person awaits us every day. True rest is found in a person, not a place. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. True rest is not only a future promise, but a present one. Let's look at the passage again, Matthew 18. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you will find rest, meaning rest can be found. It is possible. In fact, rest must be found. As much as we would just like to say, I'm going to live the cowboy life and I'll just rest when I'm dead. And yes, heaven certainly promises rest for us. But until we learn to rest in this life, we are to various extents walking dead. We're a, a six-cylinder car only hitting on five we're one twist short of a slinky. We're a few peas shy of a casserole. We're not what God made us to be. Yet Jesus offers rest amidst the work of this life. That's the tightrope that we walk, moving back and forth between work and rest, work and rest, back and forth, work, rest, work, rest. There's a rhythm here. We were not made for the rhythm of work, 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 die. <laughs> but culture wants us to think that we are. And we will end up following that path until we finally decide that Jesus may actually know what he's talking about. That we can trust that the work will get done if we will trust Jesus in our rest. Yet we keep trying to find rest in every place other than the one place and the one way that it can truly be found. It's like, um, you know, I've had times like this when I've been in search of something in the house. Say, I'm in search of the scissors. And I go to the scissor drawer and the scissors aren't there. And so I look in the couch and, and I look in the laundry and I look in the toolbox and I look in the, the car trunk and I look in the doghouse, all these places. I'm frustrated. So I call a family meeting. Family, come in here. I'm so tired of all of you using the scissors and not putting them back into the place where the scissors go. So we will now together turn this place upside down because I need the scissors. And at that point, someone will immediately go to the scissor drawer where I hastily began, and they'll look a bit deeper. And they'll say, oh, you mean these scissors? And I'll be like, yeah, those. So you're saying they were there the whole time? Yep. Great. Thanks for that. You can carry on now. 
Maybe rest has been where it was supposed to be all along. We've looked elsewhere, but it never moved. The promise is this. If we come to Jesus intentionally, consistently, expectantly, we will find rest. The very rest we were made for, the very rest that we long for, it's found in him. Because rest is not just a future promise. It's present reality. I'll wrap up with this. There's a, a story of an old logger. And uh, the old logger challenges this younger logger to a day of cutting wood, a, a competition. Who can cut the most wood uh, through a whole day? So the younger logger, of course, is like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll, I'll sign up for that. So the day begins, and, and they're, they're working. Now the younger logger uh, just worked through the day, you know, and then their youth just, yeah, I'm just going to keep cutting wood. Barely stopped, took a little break from lunch on the day, really short, but then just kept going, you know, barely even stopped to get a drink of water. Where the older logger would take rests all the time, you know, a little snack here, a little rest there, you know, long lunch, you know, took their time. They get to the end of the day, and the younger logger is just mortified because he looks and realizes that the older logger just had a huge pile of wood, way more, significantly more than the amount of wood that the younger logger was able to cut. And they're like, how is that possible? Every time I looked over at you, you were taking a rest. You were taking it easy. How is that possible? And the old logger looked at the young logger and smiled and said, what you didn't notice was this. Every time I took a rest, I was sharpening my axe. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like just in life, it's like your axe is dull. If we would trust Jesus in our rest, we can actually begin to do more of what really matters. Because it's there that God can actually sharpen us, can refine our purpose, can refine our edge. So the question is simple. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burdened? You can find rest. You can learn to walk the tightrope that is found in trusting Jesus, not just in doing but in being, being found in Christ. Today can be a start of a new way of living, or it can be the refinement of a path that you're already on. We all have to walk this tightrope between work and rest, but if we would take Jesus at his word, we will learn to walk it well. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.